You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Rich. Welcome, I'm Christina Michelle, inviting you to join me for Culture Rich Conversations, an ongoing feature of Juno Afternoon. Today, I'm having a conversation with educator and Billboard charting international recording artist, Dr. Chelsea Green. Dr. Green brings the vibrancy of violin and viola playing to worldwide audiences in an innovative way. From growing up in Houston, Texas, to the brilliant work she does now with today's youth, we will discuss it all, including her upcoming events and the Green Project. From KTOO and Juno, this is Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage. The Black Awareness Association would like to take a moment to recognize that Culture Rich Conversations is broadcast from Flinket Ani. We acknowledge those families who made use of this land and waterways for thousands of years and still cherish it as an important part of their way of life for today and future generations. Gunalschish, thank you. I'm Christina Michelle, and I'm joined today by our guest, Dr. Chelsea Green, for our show today. Dr. Green, welcome, and thank you for being here. I understand that you're on the road in the middle of live performances, so I really appreciate you taking the time to do this interview with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Well, there's lots to learn about you and the brilliant work that you're doing. I'm going to read just a little clip from your bio, and then we'll jump in and learn more about you. Classically soloing in New York's prestigious Carnegie Hall at age 16, Dr. Green's varied performance resume includes performances at the Grammy Awards, CBS Late Show, NPR Tiny Desk, Capitol Jazz Festival, Seabreeze Jazz Festival, the opening of the Smithsonian National Museum of African American History and Culture, Essence Music Festival, Port-au-Prince International Jazz Festival, Kuwait National Opera House, and many more. Whoa, that is a mouthful. I'm exhausted saying it. I can't imagine (laughs) how you do it all. (laughs) You know, I am just so grateful for God's alignment because I, you know, when you think about things that you would hope to do and then you think about things that you've been able to do, I just can't help but say thank you, Lord, because I those things that you read, I still get goosebumps like we really do. Wow. So, yes, thank you for that. Of course. So let's go back to the beginning of where your journey began. I understand you were born in Houston and born into a musical family. Can you tell us about how you grew up? Absolutely. I grew up in a very culturally rich part of Houston that I will say 
um, you know, everywhere became family. <laughs> I have two educators as parents that taught in local schools in Houston that were very much a part of our community. So we were all community kids together because they were all in my parents' classes. And when I became of age, I was in class with them and 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 the sort. And so I was born in to a family of musicians and music lovers. And it was introduced to me very young that, okay, well, she's going to be the violinist out of the bunch. We have <laughs> our saxophonist, we have our vocalist, and now we have a violinist that's popped out. So I was introduced to violin lessons. You know, usually violinists don't start taking lessons until they're about six or seven. I started taking lessons at four. Oh, wow. Um, yes, with a teacher that my mother met in then known as Kinko's back in the day <laughs> where you had to go and get the key from the desk and plug it into the machine so the copy machine would work. And um, <laughs> she saw this woman with a violin on her back and said, you know, do you teach lessons? And she was like, for this little one, I, of course, I'll teach her. And so she happened to be a member of the Houston Opera Orchestra. And that became part of the family, too, because I would go to lessons and then I would go to her rehearsal sitting in the pit for Nutcracker or other ballet productions. And she would make it very much about the entire production. She's like, we're one part of this entire world that's mm -hmm. going to be operating, bring an experience to the audience. So she was very intentional about introducing me to every member of the orchestra, the conductor, all of the dancers, all of the people on the production team, and all of the people calling cues and the costume designers. And she, we would go back to the lesson and she, and she would always say, if ever you don't want to do this, you can do anything of that, you know? And, and I was just so grateful that she showed me the world of what engaging with audiences was. And through that and through my family of musicians, I was able to really experience what performing and connection was at a very young, young age. Was it love at first play for you or is it something that you learned to uh, love over time? Woo. Well, you know, I'm I'm in a season of transparency, so I will be completely honest. It was not, you know, um, it was something that at four years old and the way she, her her approach made it so fun because it was like, you know, let me show you how to hold your instrument. And when you hold your instrument right, we're going to go get a scoop of ice cream or we're going to go get a, you know, you're, you're going to be able to have like three M&Ms. And I was like <laughs> jumping over the moon for some candy. And then when you get a little older and, you know, you start getting into the nitty and the gritty of it all. You know, what the practice routine requires, what it means for you to be the only one that looks like you when you go into your school orchestra, what that feels like emotionally, what that does to you um, with regard to regional competitions and statewide competitions. So when it started to get into the nitty gritty of that, it really wasn't fun for me anymore. But I, I will say fast forward to some some experiences when I got much older. 
I was so grateful that I hung in there, that I stuck with it because it was playing in the church and playing, playing in other scenarios with my family that really kept me going just outside of what school was doing. I love that you mentioned um, what it was like being the only person who looked like you in the classroom or when it came to performances, because as as um, our listeners know, our show is about the black lived experience in Alaska Mm -hmm. and beyond. And we talk about that quite often, you know, the, that moment when you realize that you're different and from the other people in the room. So can you share a little bit about what that was like and what were some of your, uh, your coping mechanisms? Wow. That that is, (laughs) it's such a nuanced question because it is something that we've all experienced in our own way, you know, and I think that it is, it's one thing to show up, but then it's another thing to show up for yourself. Mm. And I think, I think when you are put in those positions at a very young age, you learn how to be your best friend very early because you may have to hold your hand through some very uncomfortable situations. And, and I didn't realize just how uncomfortable it was until I looked back to have the hindsight to say that really was kind of a messed up thing but thank goodness I came out of it stronger and had the learning from that. And as far as coping, you know, I will say, especially when we're talking about Black lived experience, you know, I'm currently living as an independent Black woman in America. And I don't know that the coping gets any easier or mm-hmm. different. It just it just continues to evolve, right? It just continues to strengthen you in a way that even if you didn't want to, you really don't have a choice but to show up for yourself and and make it make it work. So I will say emotionally, it was challenging because you don't feel like there's a safe space. <laughs> you know, you're like, what what is the safe space? So you I, I was very much grateful for Um, Being able to like play music at my church when I was young and be able to take that experience for what it was versus a different experience that I was getting at school or a different sort of orchestral experience. But then as I got older and the Green Project became a real thing, I got to see the ownership that I could bring to my art as opposed to playing in other scenarios. I love that. So, so well said. If Thank you're you. if you're just joining us, I'm Christina Michelle, and I'm here with my guest, Dr. Chelsea Green, who is an educator, violinist, and international recording artist. And we're having a wonderful conversation about her journey. Um, so, Dr. Green, can you talk to us a little bit about um when you knew that you wanted to do the work that you're doing on the level that you're doing it as a professional musician, because a lot of us take lessons. I I took a few lessons when I was a kid and never actually did anything with it. So how did you make that transition from just taking lessons to where you are today? Wow. I will say that when I got out of my undergraduate studies, I was at a I was at a pretty, pretty much a breaking point. I was like, I'm either going to play violin forever or I'm never going to play it again. And 
I it was such a rough go in undergrad with my musical studies. When I was a senior in college, I said, I'm only applying to conservatories. I'm only going to apply to the like most <laughs> prestigious places. And I'm just going to like sit, put myself out there. And I, if, and that's the answer. If I get into none of it, it means that's it. No more, no more for that. And, and I had like, cause I had invested in doing some other things seriously um, as, as a college student. So I was like, I have options here. Like I, I, I don't have to just be pigeonholed. But I ended up getting a scholarship to go to Peabody Conservatory in Baltimore, Maryland. And I will never forget that audition because the teacher came out of the audition after I was finished. And he said, we do not have a spot for you because we've already allotted the amount of violists that we can take for next year. He's like, but I am going to create a spot and we are going to bring you here. And we are going to, and, and I want to work with you. And he said, I want to work with you personally. And I think he could see that I was at that point of like, this is a moment where she could either turn it, turn it around or give it up. And it was in like one of my first lessons with him that I walked in and I was ready to go, or at least I thought I was. And I put my little books on the music stand and I started playing and my professor started packing up his bags. He started packing <laughs> up, like, I'm ready to go. And I said, um, I'm sorry, did I do something wrong? Like, are you okay? And he's like, oh, no, no, no. You put books on the stand. And so it seemed like you were here to practice. <laughs> he was like, if you want to go to practice, then I'll leave and let you make this your practice room. But when you're here with me, that means that you've already done that work. And wow. he put his stuff down and he said, listen, if you want to be one of a trillion viola players in the world, then that's fine. But if you want to be an artist, you let me know. Mm. And he left and my life changed after that because he just made me feel like what I wanted to do mattered. And and that was the turning point for me. I went from feeling like I had to audition to be part of something else into creating my own musical ideas to be able to engage audiences in, in a powerful way. And I'm just so grateful that he took the time to pour into me in that way. So that's that was the turning point. The Green mm-hmm. Project was never even an idea before that. <laughs> Can you share with us the first time you felt that you had truly experienced success as a professional musician? Oh, my goodness. This is one of my journal prompts that I give my students. I always say, what is success to you? Because for me, um, that moment when you've finished the last edit on an album, that's that success. Like whether it sells zero units, you're like, I just finished an album and it's off of my heart now. I've put it on to vinyl and it's in the world. Mm. I feel like that's, so I, I think that when I recorded my first EP, I felt like that, I felt like I was somebody, okay? <laughs> I felt like we have an album on the internet. Like we are out here yeah. and- 
I was so excited for that. I was I was thrilled when um, you know, we've I've been so honored to be able to collaborate with some incredible, incredible artists and and musicians that are, you know, alive and thriving and doing incredible things, and also some legends that have passed. Um, and I I've done events with just so many people. I think, you know, I'm grateful to be in the number. You know, um, to to say that my own ensemble has now premiered our original music with the National Symphony Orchestra, with the with the United States Air Force Band, like that. I just would never have even imagined um, being able to to say that. And so I'm just very grateful that God's been opening doors. And so I just count it all <laughs> as success for sure. Well. On that note, I would love for us to uh, share a little bit of your music with our listening audience. Is that okay with you? I would love that. Okay. All right. So um, let's see if we can pull up Groove Ready and share a little bit of that. One of my favorites. just tuning in. I'm Christina Michelle. I'm here with our guest, Dr. Chelsea Green, whose music you just heard a clip of that is Groove Ready, which I know I could groove to all day. Dr. Green, I love your music. It is just so multidimensional. Every single track like just kind of, you know, transports you into another like place and time. Thank you. I I appreciate that. I feel like I really have a hard time when people ask me what genre is your music. I, I like honestly, it is music, and it's just <laughs> supposed to be part of a moment. I you know classically trained for so long, but then to have been trained vocally with jazz and you know instrumentally with jazz, and I study soul and R&B and a lot of contemporary jazz and gospel, of course. So I feel like all of it is kind of infused in this final product that we have released in certain different iterations over time, for sure. Um, Now, you were an associate professor in the string department at Berklee College of Music for a few years, six years? I'm I'm still there. This is okay. this is my seventh year now um, at at Berkeley. Yes, yes, just started my seventh year. Congratulations! Thank you. Can you Thank share you. how you've seen music change with respect to technology over the past six to seven years? 
Oh my goodness. It's been a vast change. Um, I think for me as an instrumentalist, primarily, that's where you see a lot of it because you see students coming in wanting to make sure they are learning production. They're learning the, the engineering elements, which I love that. And I think my hope is that we don't lose the essence of live performance mm. of of children learning the discipline of learning an actual instrument, the tangible task of wrapping their mind and body around embracing an instrument. It's, it doesn't even matter what career they, they end up in. It's something about the focus and discipline that it takes to do that, that I think could really help, you know, just anyone just kind of expand their mind into the possibility of what their body is capable of, what their mind is capable of. So the shift has been technology driven for sure. But, you know, I, listen, let me tell you, I, I will gladly play a little duet with an AI <laughs> robot. Like we can do it together, girl. Like let's pull up, let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, well, we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we are going to continue this conversation. Dr. Green, thank you again so much for being with me today. And we'll be right back. Thank you.
Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle, and you just heard the rest of Groove Ready by our guest, Dr. Chelsea Green. And we're here having a conversation about the work that Dr. Green does as a professional musician and recording artist and as an educator. So let's talk a little bit about um, some of the people that you've worked with. You mentioned some of them before we went to break, like Stevie Wonder, Lizzo, Regina Carter, Wu-Tang Clan, Terry Lynn Carrington, Kirk Franklin, Charles Lloyd, and lots of others. Can you tell us who's been your favorite so far? And I know it's a big question. And who you're looking forward to working with in the future? Oh, wow. Ooh. Oh, ooh, ooh. These are juicy questions. I feel like they have all... You're in a season of transparency, right? I'm in a season of transparency. That's why I'm trying to like really make sure I, because, you know, the thing about labeling something as a favorite, it's like what part of the experience made it, made it that, you know what I mean? And, and each one of those things have been such a unique experience that it's kind of hard to like isolate one. I will say that the Lizzo experience was extremely memorable for so many reasons because the show happened. We were playing the Grammys the day that Kobe passed away. So we were in the Staples Center the morning that Kobe passed. And that was like such an eerie feeling. And just the moment was not about anything else, but, you know, celebrating his life and his legacy. And really people coming to terms and understanding that like, this is real, like this is like, this has really happened. Um, And for me, it turned into a moment to honor like who we are and what we do in real time, because we never know like how fragile life is and how fleeting it is. And to see, to, to get to see Lizzo's behind the scenes practice, routine and like the girl is a dominant flute player like and she wants perfection on that flute she will do a take and she will say nope I can do it cleaner than that she'll do a take and she challenges herself so much that you want to support her in that and show up the best that you can too um and so that whole thing was was just incredibly memorable I think the the other one out of those names that you said kind of stands out as one of the favorite memories is that the Charles Lloyd collaboration was a was a premiere for a composition he wrote for the Library of Congress. And so to be the first violinist that ever played this like to premiere this Charles Lloyd piece that was not easy. <laughs> um, and, you know, he, he, he challenged me musically to push myself out of what I knew to be sonically acceptable mm. and, and a way, like even the way he wanted me to tune my violin, the chords he played on the piano to, for me to tune to were so dissonant. And he was like, I need you to get out of what you think is in tune wow. so that we and 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 that just opened my mind um, in such a musical way. So I will say those were 
Definitely too, but there there are so many favorites. I have so many favorites. I mean, playing with with Regina Carter, she's like I call her my auntie now, but she's like been an icon and a legend in my head. Being a black girl playing the violin, you look at her and you're like, one day. So to, to then share the stage with her, like I still get goosebumps uh, thinking about it. But I will say, in the future, I'm looking forward. To, I don't know how these opportunities are going to come, but I will put it in the atmosphere. I'm definitely looking forward to playing with Shaka Khan one day. I, I, I hope that that can happen. Um, I would love to make music um, with artists like Chris Bowers and, um, you know, some some of his film compositions have been stunning, <laughs> just absolutely mind blowing. And just his approach to music in general is is stunning. So there's many, many. The list is long for sure. <laughs> Well, this past summer, you had the wonderful opportunity to celebrate Juneteenth at the White House. And there's even a picture of you standing next to President Biden himself. Can you share what it was like performing for the president and vice president? Well, you know, I didn't I didn't get to perform, perform. I will say I wasn't I wasn't part of the um, performance, but I was there in the capacity. I serve as the vice chair of the board for the Recording Academy, um, also affectionately known as the Grammys. And we were there as a, you know, as representatives of our organization and to be able to speak directly Mm. to the people that, you know, can influence these laws that are affecting so many independent artists, creators, and to know that, to have the opportunity just to communicate person to person, like we are real people, you are a real person, you know that we have needs, you know that it is not um it is not ideal that one stream equals zero zero point zero 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 eight cents. People need to feed their families, you know. Um, and so you have to get a million streams to get, you know, even a few bucks. But I will say that uh it was a powerful experience to be in the room with with those with so many people observing. A, a, a quote unquote day of reflection. I never call it a holiday because as a girl from Houston, Juneteenth has always been in our history books. We knew it from birth because it happened up the street in I Galveston. Yep. And <laughs> so we we don't really regard it as a as a celebration. So I will say I was conflicted in spirit a little bit because, you know, I don't think it's necessarily something that is like get out the like let, let's go ha ha about him and, and celebrate but to recognize just to recognize on that platform and to bring so many incredible artists together was powerful so so powerful well and you've performed all over the world from the U.S. to the Middle East the Caribbean Japan um, and Eastern Europe can you talk to us about what performing in so many different cultures has taught you about the relationship between music and humanity it's to say it's eye-opening is just not even saying enough mm-hmm. I, it's it's been so revealing um because you for for me to be in the middle of Eastern Europe and to play a Mario song and they singing it, yeah, in English, <laughs> just you know, oh, that's that's that. We we have a translator for everything else, but then 
but you say just a friend, like really? Okay. Okay. I I hear you. I see. I see what y'all listening to. It's such a illustration of connection, like music connects us. And I think the other incredible thing about it is exposure. Mm. It's exposure to for us you know it's exposure for me and my ensemble but also it's exposure for those cultures to experience other iterations of music would we would be in jam sessions with locally based musicians in the middle east and they would be like no 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 that's not how sarah Vaughn sings it that's <laughs> you're not singing it how ella sings it i'm like right because i'm not i'm not sarah Vaughn and i'm not ella they're they're phenomenal Mm. phenomenal legend that I absolutely you know look to and there are ways that we expand arrangements and and change things so exposure was a huge one culturally it was incredible to connect and make music with musicians from all over the world so that's always a highlight of our touring thank you so much it's just you you've had like an entire lifetime in the short time that you've been here. And it's just so captivating to, to hear you share about um, your experiences. Um, Thank you. So can you talk to us about the green project? The green project, my goodness, I will say, okay, well, we don't have much time. So let me give you the short version. <laughs> I'll give our listeners the short version. Um, the Green Project is something that I absolutely herald as being divinely aligned. I, I did not dream of having my own band as a child. Like that, that wasn't something that, you know, you sit up and be like, one day I'm going to do it. I will say this. I was in my second year of Peabody. I was doing my master's and I had just finished sitting, subbing in the section of a orchestra at the Kennedy Center. Now, the Kennedy Center is in Washington, D.C. I was living in Baltimore where Peabody is, okay, at Johns Hopkins University. So there's the the famous corridor of 95. And we all know that we've all heard of this 95 corridor. I was at the Kennedy Center knowing after this performance I had a blind date. I was very excited. I had a blind date back in Baltimore. I was excited, okay? I went to that concert more dressed up than anybody in that section. They were like, what are you doing? I said, on a date. (laughs) Don't worry about it. (laughs) Don't worry about it. Like, let's just play this music and go so I can go on my date. So I get on 95. I'm, I'm driving calmly. And... I pull up to the place and, you know, when you're a musician, you just, I personally can't leave my my violin in the car. I just can never leave it in the car. And that night I was playing viola. So I took my viola in the restaurant and there I was sitting at the bar. I was waiting for my date, never showed up. Oh, no. Date never showed up. I was stood all the way up. Okay. No. Stood up. And <laughs> I was just, I was about to leave, but it was an open mic. That night, and this I had never heard of what a, what an open mic even was. Um, so I was like, okay, I'll stay and hear the people. They were doing poetry, and some people were singing, and there was a DJ. I was like, it's a vibe. 
it's a vibe I'll stay. <laughs> and so the bartender could tell I was having a rough night. So they were being very generous. <laughs> I was like, this is a win-win. I'll stay. <laughs> and so all of a sudden the DJ is like, all right, we got baby girl with the saxophone coming up next. Baby girl with the sax coming up next. And I'm looking around I'm like, now I don't see nobody with a saxophone. And the bartender was like, that's you. That's that's you. And whatever you got in that thing you sitting next to, that's you and that. I said, oh, my viola is a saxophone oh tonight. Gosh. So I, hey, I was like, why not? I took my viola out. I went up to the mic and I said, hi, everybody. This, my name is Chelsea. This is my saxophone. Some people call it a viola, but y'all can call it whatever you like. Um, and I guess I'm going to play for you. And the DJ dropped an instrumental of Kanye West flashing lights. Oh, wow. And I started improvising to the to the track and we were just going. He started oh mixing gosh. things and it was just a real moment happening live. And just a, the owner of the venue came out of the kitchen and he said, you have to come here this weekend and play with your band. And I'm like, um, <laughs> one, one issue. Um, and so before I can even really finish the sentence, this lady pops up. She's overhearing our conversation and she pops up and she grabs my shoulder and she's like, she will see you this weekend. She will see you with her oh band this gosh. weekend. And I'm like, okay. And she, all of a sudden, like after I packed up and she set me down, she was like, so my cousin is Drew Hill's MD and Drew Hill just what? got off tour oh and they don't have anything to do. Oh. So your band is going to be the entire tour band of Drew Hill. I was like, oh, okay. My gosh. Okay. And to this day, I still play with that drummer. Talk about so, alignment. Wow. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> That was just, you could, like, I could not have even planned any of that. And, like, that became our home base, Baltimore, which is why, like, why we're doing our live recording here this weekend. Like, it became our home base. Mm -hmm. Baltimore has been, like, we, where we started. And now we're doing, you know, all this other stuff. So now, you know, now we're on our way to Alaska. Because... I got stood up on a date one night. I think it's a win-win. That's right. It wasn't, it wasn't rejection. It was direction. It was direction. There it is. There it is for sure. So um, can you tell us what stereotypes you've encountered in the work that you do in playing classical music and how you are breaking them down with the Green Project? This is a heavy one, but I'm not going to cry. I promise. I will say that you have to be consistent. That is what I've learned. Um, sometimes the explanation is consistency. Less words, more doing. Mm. And I was doing this at a time when it wasn't like hip and fun to do. Like it wasn't, it wasn't acceptable. It was very much what are you doing? Um, do you know what you look like? Or do you know what you're making yourself look like? Or do you know what people are saying? And it was a bit taboo. But now that 
even classical music is in a place where they are embracing more contemporary artists. You're, you're seeing this all over the country where large symphony orchestras are like performing with contemporary well-known artists and, you know, playing their, their music, you know, their understanding what it means to, to cross to to cross collaborate right and i i can't help but think about um how how it was back in the back when jazz was being born in america music black musicians period took care of each other whether it was classical jazz anything they they knew that they had to take care of each other however they could and it's been about like showing up and supporting each each other. So I will say some of the stereotypes or I guess some of the barriers, it's been difficult kind of on both sides to be classically trained and in contemporary music, but then playing classical music and then also being a contemporary artist, they both have different, um, they both kind of create different conversations, mm. <laughs> I guess. I guess if you could say it, say it in that way, I'm trying to articulate it as best I can without getting in trouble. Um, but (laughs) you know, it's, it, it, it required me to woman up. Okay. It required me to, to learn, you know, to educate myself on, okay, if this is how I need to communicate with a band full of jazz musicians who have never really only exclusively worked in classical music, then learn the language that it mm-hmm. that it takes to communicate with them. Learn learn what it means to be able to communicate with a sound engineer. What you need when you plug in, you know, I'm if if I'm the only woman on stage in a scenario, things can happen, <laughs> you know, to to try to make me look less than, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I'm grateful that. I've had a group of musicians that have supported me musically and also professionally in scenarios where they can see there's been discrimination from other entities at at the you know place or in in whatever scenario that we're in. I will say I also still love playing classical music, so it's been great to be able to show up as a professor in a sense that, you know, I have studied all three of my degrees are in classical viola repertoire. So it's not like I not have the, the repertoire under my hand. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be playing classical quintets in the Caribbean in, in November. Um, And, you know, so being able to stretch and being able to always challenge yourself. I think that's the other thing about being a professor at Berkeley. We we're teach everything. Like, I'll have one student playing a viola sonata and then the next student will come in with a Chick Corea solo transcription. <laughs> so you got to keep your, it keeps you on your toes, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's about really challenging yourself to educate yourself, to be able to communicate and show up in in the situations as best you can in the moment. Can you uh, tell us about the work that you're doing with the youth um, and just championing uh, as a championing education advocacy? <laughs> it's a mouthful. Well, there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just 
think that at this age and at this stage in, in my life, I'm just so excited for youth to know how many possibilities mm. they have. Like, I want them to get off their phone and like be in real life, like actually live life, be be alive and living now instead of being on your phone and 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 being stuck to to a simulated reality. Right. Create create one and challenge yourself to create other worlds for yourself and invite people in to um, embrace community in in a different way. So that's what I try to do with the Green Project. You know, I try to, I think one of the powerful things about being a, being selected to go to the Middle East through the um, American Music Abroad program, they were saying how how this how the illustration of a black woman in front of an all male band was something that the women there really needed to see. Wow. Like th- this 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 is a real thing. And this is something that, you know, you're able to do because we're working in community. Um, Whatever thoughts of like leadership or like male dominated or woman dominated this, that I just really want students to know that they have options and they have a world that is ready to receive them. Mm -hmm. And Music, arts, creating things can help you tap into those different parts of you that make you feel alive. I think so many are struggling with emotional and and mental challenges right now. I know that, you know, a lot of us coming out of the pandemic are still challenged by things that isolation brought us that, you know, um, maybe we're dealing with physical or, you know, physical ailments or body issues. I just think art can help reinvigorate people in, in such a powerful way that that's really the message that I hope to get to these youth. Oh, I love that. If you're just tuning in, I'm Christina Michelle, and my guest here today is Dr. Chelsea Green, and we're having a conversation about the work that she does as a professional recording artist and uh, the Green Project. So um, we're going to take a minute, if it's okay, to listen to one more clip of your music. And this one is Autumn Leaves, and you're actually singing on this one. Is that correct? It is. Yes, that is me singing. I was yes. so surprised. I thought it was I thought you just played not just, but I thought that you right, 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 yeah, that you played right. the violin and the viola. And um, when I was listening to Autumn Leaves and I started hearing the vocals, I was blown away because I had no idea that you also sang. So here's a clip of that. The falling leaves drift by my window. Those autumn leaves of red and gold, I see your lips, those summer kisses, those sunburned hands, I used to hold, since you
You just heard a little bit of Autumn Leaves by our guest today, Dr. Chelsea Green. Absolutely beautiful. And um, yeah, I just, I'm, I, I don't even want to fade it out. I'm like, we could just finish out the segment <laughs> listening to Autumn Leaves. <laughs> but definitely want to encourage our listeners to, um, to check out Dr. Green's music. And, uh, and I'll ask you to share where they can do that at the end of the segment. Sure, absolutely. All right. So um, we have just a little bit of time left and still lots that I would love to know. Um, let's see. Can you share with us about the work that you do for independent artists and underrepresented artists? Well, that work um, with the Recording Academy, that is certainly one of our platforms to make sure that we give and show the opportunities within the industry to help support independent artists, definitely to help with even financial concerns, but also like ways to help grow their um, ability to produce for themselves, to connect with studios, to connect with other outreach opportunities, with with advocacy issues. Um, So that has been a profound piece of my life to be able to connect and collaborate with so many different artists from so many different genres and styles and types and to get to know their needs. Mm -hmm. Because I just think sometimes we can get in our own world and forget that our our limited view of our world there's like there's a whole nother world and a whole nother experience for for somebody else and it's been so eye-opening to see just a, a bit a bit of that even just a little bit through an artistic lens so that's been very very exciting very um involved, involved work, but very, very uh, fruitful as well. Well, Dr. Green, I am so appreciative of the uh, time that you have shared with us today. And as we close out, I'm wondering if you can share what's coming up next for you. What's coming up next? I mean, we're coming to Alaska. I am very excited. I'm excited that we are on our way for the Juno Jazz and Classics Festival. And we'll be performing there October 4, 5, and 6. So we look forward to seeing some of the listeners today at some of these concerts. Um, They are going to be, you know, they're already shared on my website, um, as well as the Juno Jazz and Classics website. So we're very honored that um, Zool and Sandy are bringing us to Alaska for that very soon. We are recording a live album this weekend in Baltimore, Maryland. So if you want to get a preview of what we're bringing to Alaska, please feel free to log on and grab a streaming ticket because you can see it happening live as well. And we'll um, we'll be releasing that 
probably by the end of the year or or at the top of next year. We're excited about that. And um, you know, the TBD. We 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 may be <laughs> we may be discussing a holiday concert here very soon, waiting for some ink to dry on the page, but coming soon. Yes, yes. Okay, so um, where can our listeners hear the uh, the live album? What's the website? My so my website is chelseagreen.com. That's www.chelsey green like the color g r e e n dot com, and there you will be able to find our all of our music streaming is streaming on all platforms: Spotify. Um, Apple Music, Title, all of the platforms, as well as um, we are all like all of our ticket and all of the other information is available on that site as well. So uh, they can either see on the site or they can join me on Instagram at Dr. Chelsea Green at D-R-C-H-E-L-S-E-Y-G-R-E-E-N. And I post I post on the gram. As well. And we're on Facebook, Chelsea Green and the Green Project. Awesome. And I'll make sure we get all of this information posted on the BAA Facebook page as well. So our listeners can go and uh, and follow you and download and stream and do all the things. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for this incredible interview. I'm so honored. I appreciate it. It's been my pleasure. Um, And you can find Dr. Chelsea Green's music on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, and Google Play. Uh, This is Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. And when we return, we'll talk a little bit about today in Black history, and then we'll say goodbye to Dr. Green. We'll be right back. Those summer kisses, those sunburned hands, I used to hold since you've been away. The days grow long, and soon I'll Support from Hanson Gress. Seeking curious people who like technology, network engineering, and customer support. Opportunities for those who thrive on problem solving. Details at hansongress.com slash careers. Welcome back to Culture Rich Conversations. I'm Christina Michelle. Today in Black history, we celebrate the life of Olympic track star Florence Griffith Joyner, who passed away on September 21st in 1998. Florence Joyner, who was widely known as Flojo, was considered the fastest woman of all time. She was a track and field star who set records in 1988 for the 100-meter and 200-meter competition. Those records still stand to this day. Florence Griffith was a three-time Olympic gold medalist and world champion who set and broke records. She is a Hall of Famer who is one of the most decorated Olympic female sprinters in American history. 
Upon retiring from track, Joyner designed uniforms for the Indiana Pacers in the NBA and served as co-chair of President Clinton's Council on Physical Fitness. She was an athletic trailblazer who gave her all in everything she did and never let personal challenges stand in her way. I don't know about you, Dr. Green, but I remember as a kid having posters of Flojo everywhere in my room. <laughs> Absolutely. And those nails yes. were always done. Okay. I was like, ow. Oh my goodness. Wow. And if I mean, look, that resume, I just feel like I need to go do some work. I know. Same. What a phenomenal person. Wow. Yes, I'm so inspired whenever we uh, read the Today in Black History, um, just by the the overachievers and uh, the the examples of Black excellence um, that we get to learn about and that I get to talk to and interview such as yourself, such a beautiful example of Black excellence as well. And I just want to say thank you again for joining us today. Thank you, Christine Michelle. Thank you and your team. Thank you for giving so many this platform. And thank you for sharing with your community and pouring in that in such a special way. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Well, I won't be here in October when you come, but I do hope that we'll be able to entice you to come maybe in February. Black, um, the Black Awareness Association always does a Motown night or a gospel oh, night wow. and a soul food dinner for Black History Month. And so I'm going to drop that in uh, the hat for our next meeting and see see if we can get you to come back. <laughs> oh, that would be such an honor. Look, you just let me know. You just let me know. All right. Well, for now, um, we're going to sign off to our listeners. We appreciate you for joining us today, and we look forward to any feedback you might have. You can email us at junobaa at gmail.com, and you can also find us on Facebook by searching BAA Juno. We'll also have all of the information to contact uh, or connect with Dr. Chelsea Green there, and you can visit her website, chelseagreen.com, in the meantime. Today's show was produced by Natasha Boozer, and until next week, may your life be blessed and flow with ease. I'm Christina Michelle, and this has been Culture Rich Conversations. Culture Rich Conversations is underwritten by Mark Stofa and Sarah Hannon, celebrating Juno's diversity of culture, language, and heritage. You're listening to Culture Rich. Culture Rich.